Hello, everyone. Welcome to our live stream, Why Cybersecurity Matters to All Leaders, including you. My name is Mozzie Ross. I'm the Director of Learning Design and Strategy at the Ivy Academy. The Ivy Academy and the Ivy Business School are located on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabeg, Odinoshnawi, Arawandron, and Lenenopec peoples. This land continues to be the home to diverse indigenous peoples, whom we recognize as contemporary stewards of the land and the vital contributors of our society. Cyber attacks are now very common. A recent report by Security Magazine showed that uh, on a global scale, approximately every 30 seconds, hackers attack a computer. In the news, we hear more and more about cybersecurity incidents that affect companies in various sectors. We also do not hear about many more incidents that occur, which never make it to the news for all sorts of reasons. We know the effects of uh, such security breaches can be wide, impacting individuals, damaging businesses, and loss of jobs, obviously. Our focus today is about why cybersecurity is important to all leaders. Today, we are joined by three guests, Dr. Laura Austin, Mark Siegel, and Dr. Jeff Curtis. Laura is an Ivy faculty in the Management Science Department. The focus of her research and teaching is on decision sciences and behavioral science methods to understand how people perceive risk. We are very proud to have Laura with us at Ivy. Mark is a senior technology and digital executive. He has over 25 years of experience in telecommunications, media, and other industries. He's super smart. And he most recently served as a senior vice president of IT, uh, sorry, senior vice president of business IT at Rogers Communications. And Mark is a graduate of another business school in Ontario, which is not Ivy. We will not hold that against him and we will we'll welcome him in open arms here. Jeff uh, is the chief privacy officer for Sunnybrook Health Science Center. He too is super smart and he's the director of the hospital's legal risk and compliance group. Jeff has an impressive and extensive experience in privacy and information technology governance. He has a doctorate of business administration from the United Kingdom. His research focus is on decision-making under uncertainty. And we have a poll ready for you. The question is asking to reduce cybersecurity risk. The key thing an organization needs to do is what? And we have four options. Uh, first one is have uh, the latest technology in place. The second one is to increase cybersecurity awareness uh, to change behaviors. The third one is have at least have the latest cybersecurity expertise on staff or on call. And finally, have emergency plans and appropriate resources in place for a possible breach. Um, let's start. Uh, let me start with Jeff. It's an interesting poll because uh, what I think people recognize is that the hardest thing to do on that list is the most important thing to do, right? I can do A, C, and D as a matter of a program, uh, cybersecurity program, and of course, IT folks are are used to doing you know some version of those things in many dimensions of IT. When we're talking about uh, security, often people will say, well, you know, if you think about it, it's sort of a people problem in some respects. So uh, immediately we're in a dimension where the most important thing to do, obviously, is to make people aware and then get them to act. That's a tough thing to do. And we'll talk about it today. It probably involves more than just the IT group. It involves uh, a range of factors within the organization that, that we need to pay attention to. That's a, that's a really good point. And I, and I agree with you that the answer here is, yes, increase cybersecurity awareness, but possibly that's a very difficult thing to do. Mark, in your work, in the line of work, um, how does this um, increasing awareness manifest? What have you seen successful in increasing awareness? I, it's a lot of education, frankly. I think uh, education in their personal lives and in their uh, corporate lives, you've all, everyone loves uh, when the IT team runs a phishing campaign against you and then sends you for remedial training. But reality is uh, where I've seen it done well, it becomes part of you know business uh, 
business training. So annual business training includes some understanding on cyber cyber risk. It involves education, I think, of the rest of the leadership and the board uh, around the risk. And I think one of the challenges historically, we used to keep these breaches really, really quiet. Uh, and there's a need to know basis, but having people understand that it is happening, it is happening wide. It happens with different levels of outcome. You know, sometimes the breaches have no no effect, right? It was a non-production environment with very, very little data. It showed you a breach in the technology, um, but teaching people about where the breaches are coming from, looking at your competitors, looking at the businesses uh, elsewhere. And I would say that media has done a great job uh, in the last couple of months in coverage and making awareness just kind of part of normal discourse. Mm, that's uh, quite interesting. Uh, Laura, answer that most of our guests here today picked, which is increased cybersecurity awareness to change current behaviors. I, I don't suppose that's just enough. I suppose that there are other things that an organization may also need to take into, into account. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, um, certainly all four elements you know, that were listed are important. And so we don't want to forget all of, we don't want to forget the others. But, you know, one of the things that's certainly true is it's increasingly important for organizations to be thinking about planning for how to respond when there is an attack, because more and more, it seems to be the case that it's not just if there will be an attack, it's when there will be an attack. And more and more organizations are experiencing these kinds of problems. Uh, so in order to prepare for that, you know, one of the things organizations want to do is to really think about what are the things they have at risk. Traditionally, with cybersecurity, we talk about loss of data and customer data and customer privacy and maybe employee privacy. Uh, but more and more with the things we're seeing in the news, of course, there's a lot more at risk. There's business continuity. If you're part of a supply chain, it's your business continuity and those you supply or those who supply you. If you're part of a large infrastructure system, if you're just a small piece in that, something happening to you can, can really impact, you know, a, a large, not just many organizations, but an entire community and put people's lives or safety at risk. So thinking about, starting to think about what's at risk through our little portal or big portal to the internet, what kinds of things are placed at risk because of our business and how do we prioritize those? And then once we've prioritized those risks and we take stock of where we are, then we're in a starting position to plan our strategy, right? What's prioritized. And uh, sometimes we focus on the day-to-day, the, -day, the easy things and these bigger risks. We might not even really have thought about our role in the bigger system and 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 our potential losses and and obligations and responsibilities to others. Uh, we're very lucky that all three of you today are experts in risk. Uh, so I, th th let's let's open this topic up a little bit more. Jeff, Laura mentioned that it's uh, necessary for an organization to actually have a, a bigger picture view of what is at risk, and then also figure out priorities of how to respond to it. Have you experienced success working with senior executives? in having this dialogue and what actually contributed to the successful dialogue with the rest of the senior executives in, in trying to understand the big picture, what is at risk? Right, uh, we, we have. And, and this, of course, has been a, a journey over, uh, you know, I would say almost two decades for myself, certainly here, um, in a, on a couple of levels. I mean, if we're talking about, you know, from the top down, if you were, uh, there was a time when uh, you know, it was a new topic to the board, uh, whether it had been a new topic in their own personal business lives or otherwise. But the idea was that it became, you know, pretty apparent that you had to tell the story 
centric on this business. So we are in an academic health sciences center and therefore specific types of things are at risk. We have uh, certain business delivery value that we have to achieve. Also in a in a, a context that's not often seen as business value, if you will, you know, mm. value to patients, uh, researchers, uh, the, the various stakeholders that are here. So it's a complex environment. Then what you're saying is, well, you know, whether you've realized it or not, we've um, put a lot onto the security of our information technology systems and, and computing systems. Not that we just woke up one day and it was like that. This has been evolving, obviously, for decades. But uh, we actually used to talk about the the real issue, which was networked computing or internet, you know, exposed computing. So it's one thing, you know, years ago to have a uh, an internal network and everybody could talk to everybody else. And, and that's fine. The, the concept of an external bad actor, you know, invading the uh, the operations was was sort of off in the distance, if, if even present at all. So, you know, one of the one of the key discussions, and it still bears discussing, is it's the fact of the con the the uh, the connectivity that we enjoy now, the always on uh, the personal ability to compute from a mobile uh, anywhere you are, anywhere in the world. On the one hand, it's delivering huge value. This is what we've. This is where we want to go. Uh, on the other hand, you then have to pay attention to the commensurate risks. Uh, you know, um, in that deal, if you will, there are other ways to operate, but it's almost inconceivable now that you would go backwards. Mm-hmm. So, if the, if the commitment is to go forwards and connect everything up and bring you know data wherever it's needed all of the time, and indeed introduce even you know machine processing, uh, automated transaction processing that happens at a, at a much greater pace than uh, what might have been experienced by some of those folks on the board in their careers. The, the story that has to be told is quite a bit different than it was uh, a generation ago, at least, if not even not five or 10 years ago. So we've had pretty good success sort of bringing folks along there. I think the other thing I wanted to mention is quickly was, you know, this has to also happen at the division or the product level or the, you know, um, the uh, the chief level of the, the various programs, certainly in our hospital, where, you know, they are their own CIOs often these days. There's certainly a corporate CIO or presence or CXO, but all of these folks are buying their own technologies these days and we're letting them plug it in. What's new is uh, a, a resurgence of sort of uh, governance or command and control. It says, well, you can plug just about anything you want in, but you have to be able to understand and describe what you're plugging in, and um, you have to go through some checkpoints. You know, you can't just park any car you want in the garage you know, where it says no propane vehicles. There's a reason for that. And so we use that kind of analogy around here, too. And that's been very successful. So if I understand this correctly, what you uh, proposing is that, well, um, it's a feature of the way that we do business and it's, it's here to stay. Uh, it's not just something that it's only a matter of 2020, 2021, 2022, and then in three years, we're probably going to figure out a way of overcoming it. It's a feature of, of the fact that this yeah. is how you do business now. It's it's not something off to the side. So then in that case, the, what you're proposing is that we may have to think about the way we do business. We have, we have to approach it slightly differently and, and somehow embed responses to cybersecurity in the way that we do daily business. You know, uh, sort of maximally or then even on a micro basis, you know, every transaction counts. Things are different today than they were tomorrow. Today we have way more transactions and the transactions are happening in a way that's not necessarily entirely always knowable or transparent. You set up these systems and you let them run, if you will. 
And so you better be sure about how they're architected. You better be sure about the people that are running them. You better be sure, you better be sure. And you can never be 100% sure, but that's what then introduces us to the risk management scenario. It's not a perfect world. Um, and this is what, for example, and Mark can maybe talk a little bit more about this. This is what then introduces concept like, you know, zero trust computing. Your leadership often sounds like, well, what do you mean we don't trust our people? <laughs> trust our people. Everyone from the board on down is trusted. Maybe there's a person out there that's untrustworthy. What do you mean? Well, the answer is, is it's the answer to how, you know, how sure do you need to be? And that's the question that needs to be asked. If you don't need to be sure or you don't care, like everything else in life, then you can ignore it. But I think at the scale and scope that our organizations are running, even the smallest organization now, um, you can't afford not to know about this topic. And that's really the theme of what we're talking about today. This is a really good point. And, and, and um, thank you for pointing to Mark to uh, join us in this conversation. Mark, if I'm hearing Jeff, which is raising some really good points. Jeff is trying to also uh, help us understand three interrelated themes together. He starts giving us a list of all the things that we need to be sure of. We are using the term security. What does that really mean? What do we really mean by that? Generally, uh, I think that security is not, uh, you know, everyone thought of security as the firewall. Uh, back to uh, just point that everybody was on in an office and the data was safe within the building as long as no one could walk in instead of the computer. Well, that cat's out of the bag. It's been coming out of the bag and I would say COVID has destroyed any idea of firewalls. And so firewalls was the old security methodology, which was build a wall and put in holes where you needed things to be connected. And there'd be a conversation about it and a governance board and off you went. Zero trust and security models are really more around, let's assume that you are who you are and that you have to prove who you are and you have access to what you are. So instead of what happens today, which is you're on the network and you can get access to all the data in the data repository, it starts with what data do you need specifically? And that's the data you get access to. So really, I think what people are looking at security postures, it's really starts with a different way of looking at uh, how to grant access is kind of the, I'm oversimplifying, but that's what it is. But I think security is compute, but it's also people. And I think that's right now, if you think about the things that are most breaches, so, you know, breaches before were very much around someone stole your data, right? And then would publicize it and it had brand implementation, brand implications, and possibly customers not believing you. But it really has now become, and we'll kind of talk about this, it's impacting operations, right? The, okay. the model has changed. It, you, know, you know, if you look now at the most breaches are coming through phishing, which has nothing to do with security. It's not people scanning uh, attachments to emails. It's people responding to what they think through the normal course of business in email, and then getting a uh, piece of virus, virus software that locks you out of some important file or files or network equipment or whatever the case may be that stops the business from operating. You cannot, you know, you can't package meat, for example, uh, as we saw before, the fuel line stops, uh, pipeline stops, so it's impacting businesses. And so now the question is, how do you fix and get as much a sort of different security model, but how do you educate people so they understand that they're always the biggest vector, right? So really getting people to understand what's going on and making it harder for them to actually develop something they didn't need to see in the first place. So if I understand this correctly, you're uh, proposing that it, this is no longer just a, a technical problem. And, and, and if it were a technical problem, probably would have had some technical solution for it. But you're suggesting that it's a behavioral issue. And, and how do we, in that case, consider security from that point of view? Yeah, I mean, look, it is a technical problem and it is a behavioral problem. You know, the security that IT folks will have to work and as part of their job description to determine how do we put the right security model in place. And I think it's a risk conversation. You know, you can become 
as secure as a government agency and and uh, no one's allowed to bring their own phone into the office and, and all that. Or you can decide we're going to allow for some flexibility in the workforce to do their job. To just point, people with mobile devices are more productive because they can see in uh, his business possibly a copy of an x-ray on an iPad next to a client, right? Maybe at home when they have time, that makes them more productive. Now, the risk is you've exposed that customer's private data, their x-ray externally. And so I think you have to understand, okay, should we expose it, risk conversation, and then do the people who have it understand? Most people that work in call centers know credit card data is pretty, pretty important. And they've all been taught to not write down a scrap of paper, don't put a note, don't email to people. So really helping people understand that all data is critical and even infrastructure design is critical and all these things can, can allow an actor. Most of the breaches that you see, there's sort of different complexity of the breaches. The really complex ones are not one whole. It's people social engineering, understanding how things work. Like that's why the solar winds one is so scary. It gives companies the ability to see into the structure of the IT infrastructure of companies, which makes it much easier to understand where to target. And so, I, so the answer is yes, both. And that's what I think what we're here today to talk about. It, it really isn't, uh, you know, the CISO's problem anymore. Yeah, Jeff, you wanted to also comment well, on this. If people are interested in, you know, sort of bullet points, I think it's still, bears true that a, a good way to start these conversations, regardless of the sophistication of the audience, is to say, well, look, you know, traditionally information security or IT security was about, you know, confidentiality, integrity, and availability of the IT computing environment, right? Uh, and or the data assets that are involved there. And we can talk about what those might be. So CIA, any security professional can, can talk about those three things, right? Um, is the data in transaction being uh, only accessible by those who need to know, you know, at the time that they access that confidentiality. And this is what tips into the privacy world, right? Confidentiality is not the same as privacy. There it is. Integrity, the accuracy, completeness, or computability uh, of the systems or data, right? I mean, if, if, if your spreadsheet, after somebody hacks it, uh, says one plus one equals three, the spreadsheet might work or still operate. You can get to it, but it's really not acting the way it should. That's going to cause problems for your business, right? And then availability, you know, are the systems just technically on? That's usually job number one for any CXO. Yeah, uh, uh, but it's not the only issue in security. So CIA, and then uh, classically, you could talk about people, process, and technology dimensions of either problems or controls, right? One thing I wanted to just go back to for a minute was something Mark said about phishing and that that's the primary vector, right, for getting in. And it's not so simple anymore, right, to train people what phishing looks like. It used to be simple. It was those messages, you know, I have an aunt who has a lot of money and, and you- From the Nigerian prince. You know, right. And, and those are easy to spot. But training for phishing now is much harder because there's targeted phishing, right? Where they have information about who works for you and what they're like and who you might communicate with and can design emails that look very real. And it's coming from your boss. And of course, you're going to click on the link that your boss sends you. I mean, one thing that's always happening is, is the bad guys are always a step ahead and they're trying new things and they're more sophisticated than us. And so the learning is continuous, right? And the need to understand what's going on and, and the behavior changes that are needed is, is continuous. Might I suggest a slightly 
different direction to this conversation. I mean, I have, what we're doing really well here is that is we are painting a good picture of what the threat is and how uh, they've become more sophisticated. But maybe if we slightly change the conversation and looking at the responses that we as managers can actually give and, and what are the things that we need to do in order to prepare for, for this new way of operating in the world. Laurel, you started us on this path early on and you said that, you know, that it's not just about security in the breaches, but also it's about pre uh, preparedness and then responses. The event that we had on Tuesday, the, the simulation, was uh, was partly about that. Can you help the audience know a little bit more about uh, what took place on Tuesday? Yeah, for sure. Um, absolutely, that simulation is about response, right? How to respond if there's an incident and you're not sure what's going on. And I think that's typically the case. Something maybe is going on, but you're not sure. And you can't shut down every time you think maybe something's going on because if you're a big company like Amazon, maybe something's going on is happening all the time. Uh, so the backdrop for the sim that we did was it's a small startup. They're growing. You're the chief technology officer. You're in New York. Uh, your headquarters is in Seattle three hours away. It's 8 a.m. in New York, 5 a.m. in Seattle, and you get a phone call. Uh, we've got a denial, a distributed denial of service attack underway, and it looks like maybe there's something more to this and we aren't sure, right? And so now you're virtually managing this cyber incident from afar. You're getting all of these phone calls, all of these text messages. People are being woken up, you know, at 5 a.m. in Seattle because maybe there's a problem. So they're all calling you. They're different people have different bits and pieces. You're getting advice from people. We should shut down. We shouldn't shut down. We should make this change. We should make that change. Everyone's sort of acting independently. You're trying to coordinate them from afar. Everyone's virtual, which which we're all experiencing right now. Uh, so, you know, some of the and, and then you go through this exercise. And so some of the really interesting things or great things about this sim is it's a safe way to experience typical behaviors and typical responses. The typical things that people are, you know, we should shut down, we shouldn't shut down. We should do A, we should do B, we should do C. We're planning a meeting. We're all going to talk in 30 minutes. Can we just wait till then? But everyone's under pressure, right? It's very stressful. So some of the key takeaways are first, Mazi, as you said at the beginning, you know, the feedback we get when we do this with organizations is that was so real. It felt so real. We've been in a situation like that and that was just what it was like. And my heart was pounding as I went through this simulation. So there's that. Uh, one of the great things is it helps us with scenario planning, right? So Jeff has talked about that and the importance, you know, to be prepared. It helps if you can plan and practice in a safe place. How might people respond? What might they say? And how are you going to respond to that? So I think it was, it was Jeff or Mark said, you know, you need to know in this situation, we're going to respond A, B, or C and be prepared for that, right? So the importance of emergency plans. So the value of scenario planning and preparedness, emergency plans, communication plans, the importance of updating those comes out in the simulation. And then I think what people experience is that managing behavior is really hard, right? When everyone's in a panic and everyone's really stressed and they're all trying to do their best and you're finding things out like maybe secret, some, something an employee did, they didn't want to tell anybody, but now they're thinking maybe they ought to fess up as to what happened or they're investigating something and they don't know yet, but now they're going to tell you. Um, so all of that comes out. And then finally, um, and then we'll move on. I'll, I'll, let, I'll take it back to you, Mazi. But we talked about the importance of communication and the aftermath of an event, because if you're a publicly traded organization, you have legal obligations to disclose things you know that might affect your company, but you also 
don't want to be alarming. And how do you balance those? And what do you say when you aren't actually sure what happened? How do you admit that? But how do you not admit that? And so in the sim, people have a chance to practice and get some feedback on that. Laurel, thank you. And, and Jeff and Mark, I actually want to get your reactions to this in a second. While we're doing this, might I propose we, we look at the initial poll that we had, which a lot of people were suggesting increasing awareness about cyber cybersecurity to change behavior. So, so let's also think about the, the last part of that uh, phrase, to change behavior. What are some proposed behavioral changes that we need to see in light of what Laurel is talking to us about? Jeff, let's start with you and then I'll go to Mark. Yeah, sure. So uh, just a couple of quick comments on that. I mean, you know, this, this whole idea that emails are risky because, you know, you could, anybody could click on anything and anything can happen. One answer to that is email is really shouldn't be a transaction medium. It should just be a messaging medium and you shouldn't actually be able to click on anything in an email. Um, now people will, you know, and then this is the internal conversation that will ensue. What do you mean we can't attach things to email anymore? But, you know, this is going on in the large banks and, and the sort of senior players right now. The question is, you know, what's your business uh, think about that? And if you don't even know that there are other ways of working, no wonder you're still suffering from phishing, uh, for example, because there are solutions to that. And uh, there's vendors lined up at the door, uh, you know, able to help you with that kind of thing. It was interesting to me, you know. The analogy, I think, to the simulation thing is actually, uh, if you think about it, anybody who's been on a cruise has gone through the simulation of, and it's the first thing you do after you get on the cruise ship. Everybody wants to go to the bar. They don't let you do that. What they do is they say, come to this room, put on a life jacket, and then go to your muster station, and we're going to describe to you how to get on a boat in case we sink. And then they t then they open the bar, and everybody has fun. So there's sort of a reward, if you will, for doing the simulation almost. But I think it, you know, it, it just bears saying is that the last thing most people think of, possibly, when they get on a ship is that it's going to sink. But obviously, it's pretty important to have gone through some of this uh, before the first time it happened. So the, this is the analogous to what you, know, you want to do within your own corporation. And, and this just underlines the value of simulation. Simulation, you know, relatively speaking, is cheap. It's fun. It's a better training method, I would suggest, or it's, 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 it's perfectly complementary to, you know, traditional kind of uh, rote learning or something like that. Um, you know, but it has to be said uh, for phishing as well, there are lots of tools out there that will allow you to run your own phishing simulations or testing inside, create your own emails that are, you know, are almost perfect, except for one little thing in them. But but anybody in finance is going to think that it's, you know, a command to please send this check to this person, but it's still false. And so that's, that's, increasingly easily done. The question is, will the culture accept the idea that we're going to simulate or test people on these various dimensions where most people, you know, will say, yeah, I know about phishing. I don't think that that's acceptable anymore. I think you have to actually, you know, go through it, watch what happens when people make these kinds of decisions. Mark, uh, in addition to simulation rehearsals uh, for preparedness, what other uh, behavioral changes uh, would you advocate or any organization that actually wants to equip itself? Just a quick comment. The rule talked about the, uh, you know, the, the way the simulation breakdown, they had a little bit of P PS PTSD uh, going on uh, and not generally just for security. That's kind of how operations things fall apart as well, right? When something goes bad and you can't you know, take transact in a store or whatever. I, I think the notion of a breach playbook, talking about what happens when how do you muster? What will be the communications pattern? You know, we're going to communicate every four hours in this kind of breach to this level, to that level. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell you what we don't know, what we do know. We're going to tell you what we're looking at next. Understanding 
which people you're going to call and when, including third parties. So understanding when something happens, are you going to use third parties? Who are those third parties? Are contracts already in place? And how does the business owner get involved in those conversations? How do they get involved in making the call about, you know what, we're going to shut down that emergency room <laughs> uh, recently as we talk about the Humber issue, or we're going to shut down a plant uh, or whatever the case may be, parts of the network if you're a telecom company. And so being very uh, clear about having those conversations, not in time of crisis to provide a framework. And it's never, you don't follow it exactly, but at least it gets everybody kind of swimming in the same direction. And, and I've seen it um, not just in security, but operations, a classic example, right? You come into areas which don't have great operational governance and cadence, but something goes wrong. Like it's just, everyone's got a different story of what happened. No one knows who's making decision calls. Do you inform the board? Do you not? This is just something you need to practice at a time. So it's not just education of people. It's building the process, I think, that Jeff alluded to earlier. Mark, whose responsibility is it to help the organization go through all these preparations? Honestly, I think it's a, I think this is, this is an, a new emerging enterprise risk. Uh, and I think that it might be the CISO's accountability to ensure that it gets done, but it's, I think, a leadership accountability responsibility uh, to understand their role, understand how it will proceed, understand who gets decision rights and why it's uh, I don't, I don't think it's an individual. And I think everybody needs to understand their play and their right to make decisions. I, I think you, Jeff, you talked a little bit earlier about shadow IT, what I yeah. call shadow IT. Uh, and historically, you know, the issue was you didn't know what you spent in IT. That was kind of the joke, right? You spend 4% of your budget IT, you own a hold in a second. Where are all these Amazon bills coming from? Why, why are they in the corporate credit account? Uh, and then, Suddenly now it just becomes this kind of idea of, well, you don't really know where your data is and who has access to it, what controls are in place. I think a data risk and confidentiality and training people on what's confidential information and what's not uh, and what they can leave lying around and the practice of not leaving your laptop in your car when you go somewhere. Um, all those things are just part of building a good, robust process in a company around what the risk you're willing to take is and, and what is the individual's accountability working there uh, and understanding their role. Jeff, you work in one of the most um, critical and important hospitals in in, uh, downtown, in in Toronto, actually, in Midtown Toronto. And um, my question is, all of this new uh, behavior that we're proposing to uh, embody in a business, how do we make sure that they, they don't become disruptive to the daily business? And how do we make sure that it still has woven into the fabric of daily work? Yeah, so this is uh, obviously a process. It's not, you know, you're probably never finished doing what we're, what you've suggested. And so, you know, there is a concept, you know, business management concept, uh, security framework, privacy framework concept called capability maturity, for example. So, you know, uh, where a zero means never heard of the issue, don't know the questions, would never know what the answer is and, and who are you and why are you asking me all the way to, you know, a five where you're, you're measured, managed, optimized, and there's some type of plan to check act, you know, improvement over time. Time, which got you to the five, presumably. So I think it's it's a matter of, of course, then of addressing uh, the areas of most need first, right? So this means then, and Mark alluded to this, is you have to step up. I mean, simulation is one thing, and it presumes that you've understood or, you know, phishing is a problem. It presumes you understand that, that it's a problem and you can characterize the problem. But I think you also have to make sure that you've surveyed the business enough to know where these problems are. Phishing is not your only problem uh, or the results of somebody clicking on a phishing email or something like that. There's 
myriad problems and any good uh, security controls framework, which frankly can be read by most levels of senior management, uh, you know, into operations management uh, without knowing, you know, some of the technical terms. They should be exposed to the, you know, the, the ranges of not only the issues, but the problems and then into the, the possible controls. Well, you know, who knew you're sending data from A to B? Have you considered that the data should be encrypted? Well, what's that? And then you start a conversation about confidentiality and transmission. Uh, and then they say, well, tell me more. And then you, of course, there's a cost to that because people have to uh, manage encryption keys and, you know, all of this kind of good stuff. But very quickly, the business unit becomes much more immediately, much more sophisticated. I mean, as we say, on a capability maturity network or, or framework, you know, going from a zero to one is 10 times, you're, you're 10 times more sophisticated than you were from a one to a two, 10 times more. It's right. sort of an exponential scale. So you're, you're, you're really scaling up exponentially the knowledge base of the organization. And, but this can be done, uh, you know, you can start small, uh, but start where it's most important. So that means usually doing some type of, um, you know, uh, asset survey, Mark alluded to, you know, where's your data, which systems are acting on that data, and who are the actors? Who are the people who, you know, should be or shouldn't be able to, to, to transact here, including externals? And then you can start to prioritize and make your decisions or put your emphasis where it should be. I mean, it's, it's commonly understood. You cannot spend your way out of this problem. And so uh, whether you've got enough, lots of money or not a lot of money, the point is, is, you know, you need to focus your attention on what's most important. And that that's based on where the data is and, and how risk, how at risk is it? What I'm, what I'm getting a sense of uh, uh, the two things that I'm actually detecting from um, from this very interesting dialogue here. One, I guess, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that as technologies are becoming more and more complex uh, in, in the way that we're working, problems are also becoming more complex. So, so phishing is no longer uh, phishing what it used to be, and, and we don't know in two years what it, what the new problems are going to be. So this is a live process, and it's constantly changing, which I suspect relates to what Laurel said at the beginning, which is about a risk mindset, organization having a general the risk mindset. But there's also something else that Jeff is saying, which is about it, it, it doesn't matter how deep your pockets are. So this could happen to anyone. So cybersecurity is not a problem of a big company alone. It's not just about big banks or, or, or big hospitals. It could be anyone's. Let me go to Laura first about the, the risk mindset. And then Mark, maybe uh, you can help us navigate through this, this question of, is, is it an issue for everyone or just very specific type of companies or sectors. Yeah. So your question is, is how do we develop a risk mindset? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. And and that's I mean it's and I, I I took a quick peek at the questions and someone had a question about are we going to have more education on this in business schools and I think we're starting to see more of it but it's not in all business schools. And it's also relevant to IT, thinking about IT, because in business schools, traditionally, that's kind of a, well, maybe we don't do that. That's not our thing. But it's now, and we're seeing, and, and maybe people aren't so cognizant of, it's the backbone of nearly every, and maybe every business now. And so it's so important. So some of the things, you know, that we're starting to focus on teaching at Ivy is um, I teach some courses on decision-making and risk management. And it's so important to understand that it's the organizational constraints 
that we have to consider, the technical constraints, the human resources constraints, the financial constraints, but it's also the cognitive constraints, the, the, the things that sort of lead us to make less than useful decisions and engage in less than useful behaviors. And so training people to be thinking in a risk mindset, uh, training people to recognize that we all fall prey to wishful thinking, right? So there's an initial hypothesis that's, and, and oh, it's not hackers, right? I've seen this before. It's not, oh, that's a great, I really want that to be true. And then I tend to look for confirming evidence of that. We call it a confirmation bias. So how do we pe help people sort of see those kind of decision traps, those cognitive biases in decision-making, and then work plan to overcome those? Uh, one of the problems that we have is short-term versus long-term thinking, mm -hmm. right? And we all tend to focus on the problem of today and it's very immediate and there's a lot of pressure. And so these bigger issues like cybersecurity are back of mind. I'll get to it tomorrow and tomorrow there's a new immediate problem that I'll focus on and still back of mind. Uh, so how do we help people? Uh, so one, one of the things we want to instill is more long-term thinking, long-term risk management, that it's not just the short term. And um, I think one of the things too is sort of how we prioritize because, you know, we want to prevent things. We want to be, you know, risk management, we're often thinking about how do we prevent? How do we prevent? How do we prevent? Risk management is also about how do we mitigate yeah. when something happens? How do we minimize the losses? Okay, something's happened. What do we do to minimize the harm that's being done? And there's a risk of over reacting as well as underreacting. So there was an agency in the U.S. several years ago that thought they'd been hacked. They thought something was in their system. They actually threw everything away and rebuilt. And they spent, I think it was their entire annual budget doing this only to later discover there had never been a breach. Uh, so, you know, we have, we all have limited resources. And so you want to, you know, use them appropriately, both for prevention and for mitigation. And so those are some of the things we're, we're, we're starting to sort of build courses around. Uh, Laurel, thank you. Mark, uh, I know that you have spent uh, quite a bit of your professional lives in, in very large organizations. If you were to have a dialogue with uh, a counterpart of yours who's in a, maybe in a smaller organization about uh, cybersecurity, what advice would you have for them? It's not a problem uh, of big companies. Uh, it isn't a problem of, of small, it's a problem of individuals, right? Think about your own privacy um, and uh, you know, if you haven't turned on multi-factor authentication on your Google account, I'd recommend you do it. That's the easiest way I've stopped my wife from having issues uh, with her account. But generally, uh, what I would say is, you know, historically, uh, you know, if I think about time, you know, the last, say, 15 or 20 years, you know, the beginning was people that were just um, having fun, right? They were, they were kind of smart kids, smart uh, adults, kind of testing and probing. Uh, and then it became a little of governments and and uh, you, you can pretty much buy anything you want now on, on the dark web, whether that's a toolkit or access to data or someone to go do the work. But it's become business. There's an interesting question around cybersecurity and governments uh, playing a role. Maybe we'll take that later. But, you know, what I would tell you is phishing is a business now. For ransom to work, ransom only works if you pay the ransom, you get the outcome you expect. Uh, and so before paying ransom, ransomware was crazy, you, you wouldn't unlock, you kind of just wasted your money. It's not nation states, it's individuals that get out of school, they have a call center, you can call a call center and can negotiate with a manager for a lower fee. Uh, I heard the US is uh, about two days ago that it might be a tax write-off to pay ransom. Uh, so it, it's a business now. They're going to target people that are easier to get access to. And I would say anyone who has a network or has data is a target. The question is, and I think it's a bottomless pit of spend. So 
you know, I think I've heard numbers in the 10 to 15% of your IT budget as a, whatever that budget is a representative revenue, figure out what the right thing is. I would go, if you were uh, looking into this, I would go and get an external opinion because uh, there are a lot of people smarter than me and smarter than, than you who are do this for business. Give me, get two opinions on where you sit on the maturity curve in all of the different categories, whether it's your data, whether it's your firewalls, whether it's your employee training, your playbook, and you get an understanding of where you are and then try to figure out okay, where do I want to invest for what risk reward? Do I want to reevaluate why I have 600 facing websites? Because you got to maintain all of them. Why are they on different technologies? Well, the answer is, well, there's no business case to consolidate them. Well, the business case is, what happens if your business stops for an hour or a month? What happens if your customers refuse to trust you, right? There's certain places where customers, I think Target never recovered for like two or three years. People just refused to go there and give them a credit card. I, I think you really have to say, how much do I want to spend? It is a bottomless pit uh, and it is a logarithmic scale that you can never really get to that last position. If you do now spear phishing, targeted emails, I know we shared a file mass. That's a much better way to do this is to work on a file together versus sending the file around. It gets people out of the habit of doing things that are insecure by nature. But I would say every company, small, medium, large, you've got to figure out what, what you want to do here. And you can't completely outsource it because it's not an IT problem. And, and that's, a, that's a really interesting point that um, um, the, the concept of outsourcing it, as I'm understanding this problem will be here with us for some time and it, it might even get more complex as we go forward. But it's also quite likely that the whole sector will probably find different ways of responding to it. We're probably going to have more and more cybersecurity professionals and experts and consultants, legislations and all this coming out. The, I think the key message, if I understand this correctly, is that we probably should not wait until um, there are um, a, a proper responses from the, the sector in, in helping us develop security. We need to take steps ourselves as we go forward. You know, it's interesting about legislation. One thing I'd also like to add there is, uh, you know, we compete a lot in industries with our competitors and we like to keep everything secret. I think one of the newest trends, which I think is awesome, is this notion of sector-specific people getting together and sharing information about the threats they're seeing. Because a breach at a hospital makes everyone afraid of every hospital. A breach at a telecom makes everyone afraid of every telecom. And I can tell you, uh, you know, back in the previous company I worked at, the CSOs were all talking to each other every day about what they're seeing and protecting each other. Uh, so this notion of, you know, use your network, talk to people, it's not a, something to be afraid of. What happens somewhere is going to happen in your place. To your point around supply chains, most supply chains supply more than one company in the same industry. And so a breach of one of them is going to impact more than one place. That's a fantastic point. Uh, Sean, uh, uh, Laura suggested that we actually have uh, quite a bit of dialogue happening on the Q&A. Um, why don't you perhaps help us figure out a question that's interesting for our panelists to answer? Sure. Um, well, Mark, you actually referenced a question here in the Q&A from, from Mike that talks about, you know, how government needs to change their approach to cybercrime and, and how organizations can, can start maybe lobbying government to, to do more. So I'll read the question. Even companies that are doing everything right or likely doing everything right, like SolarWinds, Microsoft, have been breached. You know, it's there's a, a comparison made between, you know, a physical attack from a nation state or a sub-state actor be it being very equivalent to a cyber attack and the amount of damage it can cause. So, I mean, is there an onus there on governments and, and how can that, that conversation be moved forward? I think I started with the first part uh, that it's not always nation states. It is just uh, organized crime, for a better term. And sometimes it's just individuals having fun. The risk is it's some teenager who is smart with computers and found something that the dark web and tried and figured it out. What I would tell you, though, is, you know, government's responsible for policing uh, areas, but if you don't put locks on your office and your warehouse, that there is onus upon the company to do 
the, you know, what used to be called minimum level security or basic protections and to get better and smarter about the risks they face. You know, if you've got gold in the warehouse, you have a different security company outside than if it's nuts and bolts. And so I think the companies shouldn't hope that the government will solve it. I also think that it's moving so quickly and governments aren't necessarily quick moving. Uh, and, and you can see, you know, some of that noise starting in the U.S. Uh, I know in Canada, I think I read an article just recently around that the government itself, and you know, there's a hierarchy of what people go after first, government, infrastructure, healthcare probably, and then into business uh, disruption in terms of where things are targeted. Uh, I would say that the government needs help as well from its partners and other people from infrastructure providers. I can tell you as a telecom provider, there's lots of stuff that we would do under confidentiality with the government to protect the government and other people. So for example, if we provided phones to certain government officials, they weren't recorded anywhere in our network. So if someone breached, they couldn't find the location of somebody all the time. So think about, uh, you know, there are things that business can do working with the government. The government's going to take a long time to solve this problem for you. And they're going to solve it with legislation. <laughs> so you're still going to have to, to deal with it is kind of my, my gut feeling. Now, it doesn't mean they can't be active participants in targeting people remotely and, uh, and uh, securing the borders. But it's really, we're, we're in a global technology environment. You're never going to put the genie back in the world. Thank you. Uh, Jeff, uh, do you also have a response well, to this? Quick, I mean, just quickly, I, my experience has been, uh, uh, obviously, government's a full partner in 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 my domain, it's very helpful when they identify something called a critical infrastructure risk, uh, whether or not you believe your business is part of a critical infrastructure or a critical infrastructure risk. This is something that, you know, uh, certainly the uh, the federal or the provincial governments have their eye on all the time anyways. Um, so that dialogue, it should be expressed in those kinds of terms, which again is, you know, sort of telling bad stories or playing bad movies for people, unfortunately, you know, the boat could sink. Um, and But that, that's definitely the role of government. They manage that discussion uh, because that's, you know, well, because that's their job. And we're going through that right now, for example, with COVID, right? So that type of framing is important. I think, obviously, statutes and regulations uh, are the government's purview as well. Um, I believe that it would be a good idea to, uh, you know, agree on some type of um, information security or cybersecurity uh, laws or regulations, uh, you will notice, you know, there are privacy laws, but there's not much said within that law about uh, security, if you will. It's normative. Right. Uh, and I think that that can be improved. Um, and then finally, interoperability and standards therein. Uh, certainly, again, in uh, I, I, everybody's talking to everybody these days. No one's uh, an island unto themselves. And certainly in healthcare, it's obvious that uh, unless we move to a completely commercial model, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon here, we have to work with government to make sure that they understand what's happening on the ground and that we understand what the vision uh, of leaders are um, uh, who are elected to you know, have a vision about the future of healthcare. Right. Right. So that's, you know, in at the very broadest stroke. Uh, Jeff, these are really good advice. Uh, and recognizing that we are almost out of time, I, I want to hear from Laurel and Mark as well in very uh, short form, if you don't mind sharing practical advice that you may have for our audience here in the call. Laurel, let's start with you. Um, well, listening to Jeff, I mean, I think, I don't know if this is advice, but just a, a, something we need to recognize is that every business is at risk and the big companies, the big telecoms, the big hospitals, they have a lot of money to do this and time and, and more resources to think about it. But every small to medium-sized business is also a part of a supply chain or a part of an infrastructure chain right. and they don't have the money and resources. And I think that we need to be giving more thought to that level because it's it's reaching down to that level more and more. And I, I do think that's a key sector we need to be thinking. I don't know if that's a sector, 
but a type of business that we need to be thinking about and thinking about how to help and bring along. That's a really good point. Mark, last thoughts? Yeah, quickly, uh, honestly, I, I would say go get an assessment. Make sure there's an assessment to where you are and at least to help you understand where you want to invest in what areas you can improve. And you can improve everywhere, but some will have a higher rate of return. Uh, and I have an honest conversation, not in IT, but amongst the leadership of a company uh, around what risk you're willing to take. Mark, Laurel, Jeff, thank you so very much. This was quite illuminating. I personally learned quite a bit from this. Uh, we shall continue this conversation as we come. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. We'd like to extend further thanks to our guests, Laurel, Mark, and Jeff, for taking the time to share their insights and expertise with us. Additionally, I'd like to thank Melissa Welch, our Associate Director, Alumni Relations and Corporate Development, for all her tireless efforts behind the scenes to bring these current e-learning events and episodes to life. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe for familiar content in the future. If you want to learn more about cybersecurity, either for yourself as an individual or for your organization, we've provided resources and links in a blog post on our website. You can also visit ivacademy.com or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Instagram using the handle at ivacademy to view our upcoming events, services, and programs. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you with us for the next episode.